Deuteronomy 6. I want to read from verse 4. The Bible says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontless between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house, and what? And on your gates. So I read these two scriptures to make you understand that first, what Jesus was saying in the book of Mark was not something particularly new. There was a slight difference between the two in that in one there was mind, in the other there was no mind. In the book of Mark, Jesus said, love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with your might. But in Deuteronomy, you have heart, soul, and might. Amen. But the reason I'm comparing both of them first off is to let you know that it's nothing new. And if you look at the way Moses instructed the children of Israel, he told them that they should instruct their children that this loving the Lord must be something that is passed down from generation to generation. And it's not only that they should pass it down, but they should have it in front of them, in between their what, their eyes, on what, their doors. What is he trying to say? He's trying to say that this thing must never leave your consciousness ever. You loving the Lord must not leave your consciousness ever. And in the book of Mark, what we see is that Jesus is approached by a scribe who came to ask him, Teacher, what is the great test commandment of all? And Jesus answered him. And Jesus did not pull out some new commandments from the sky. He didn't pull out some new fancy thing. Jesus didn't pull out some rema from somewhere that nobody knew. Jesus told the scribe something the scribe already knew. Because the scribe knew the law. And this was written in the law. And he told him, okay, the greatest commandment is this. And he said, the second is like unto it, which is what? Love thy neighbor as thyself. So today, I didn't think I was going to be talking to you about love. But I'm going to be speaking to you about love. Loving God and also loving people. And we're going to talk a bit about what that means. Because if you're a Christian here, you probably know that God loves you. Obviously, as you continue to walk with God, you start to experience and understand new depths of that love. But if you do not know that God loves you, you will not be a Christian in the first place. Because the Bible says, For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You came to Jesus because you recognize that love. 
we don't come to God as believers because we love God. Hmm? How many of us know that? You don't come to God because you love him. You come to God because you recognize that he loves you. But you see, loving him comes after. So nobody gives their life to Christ because they were so enamored by love for God. No. No matter the kind of salvation experience someone has, whether the person is in the program and there's a preaching and you see some people give their lives to Christ and they're so emotional and they're crying. For you, it might not have been that experience. For you, it might, be in a, it might have been a quiet thing in the corner of your room. No matter how it looks on the outside, nobody comes to God because of their love for him. They are incapable of loving him. We come to him because we recognize we have a light that is flashed in our hearts of his love for what? For us. And the need to surrender to him on the basis of that love. That's why we become Christian. We don't get saved because we are afraid of hell. Neither do we get saved because we want to get to heaven. That comes again after. It's first predicated on the love that God has for us through Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that he made. So, if you put that in your mind and you cast your mind back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, it might make you understand how seemingly foolish, seemingly being the key word, it was for Moses to be given such a commandment to the Israelites. If I just said to you that our capacity to love God comes after we give our lives to Christ, was Jesus born in Deuteronomy? No. It was the Old Testament. So why is Moses telling them this? Why is he telling them this? What's the point? And even when you look through the life of Israel, you might even ask yourself a bit more, what was the actual point? Because from all indications, you might come to the conclusion if you read the entirety of the Old Testament that these people did not love God. Because they just kept scamming him or trying to scam him. Will you follow us? Will you follow me rather? Yes, we will follow you. All their leaders, from Moses to Joshua, follow the Lord your God. Obey him, and he will bless you. Do this and do that. They said, yes, we will. Yes, we will. Five minutes later, they've gone to build an idol for themselves. True or false? True. I was reading First Samuel recently, and I was very fascinated at and intrigued by how... Israel asked for a king. Samuel was offended. God told Samuel, it's not you they are rejecting, it's me they are rejecting. And God told Samuel, tell them everything the king will do to them. They told them, they said, we still want a king. Okay. Then, 
what fascinated me was every single time that Samuel addressed Saul, Samuel addressed Saul as the captain of God's inheritance. So essentially, even if Israel was asking for a king, every single time Samuel spoke about Saul in the position of a king, Samuel always made reference to the fact that Saul is just a caretaker. That the people in the end belong to who? God. And when Samuel was handing over in 1 Samuel chapter 12, Samuel told them point blank. He reminded them, remember the Lord brought you out from Egypt? If you read the Old, Old Testament, you see how many times they keep reminding them. Remember it was your God that brought you out of Egypt and brought you out of bondage in the wilderness and took you through the wilderness to brought you, brought you to this point. And Samuel told them, he said, obey the Lord your God. That's, if you obey the Lord your God, you prosper, your king too will prosper. But if you disobey the Lord, both you and your king, <laughs> God is going to deal with you. And they said, yes, we will. We want a king. We want a king. Give him a king. Five minutes later. Problem. So you might ask yourself, what's the point in all this? Why, why does Moses tell us about this thing? And today what we're going to really examine is what the strength of the Old Testament saints was, what their major weakness was, and how somehow their strength has become weakness. And their weakness is our strength because we have something that they don't have. Can we open our Bibles to the book of Romans, chapter 5? I want us to open the book of Romans, chapter 5, and I want us to read verse 5. The Bible says in Romans 5, 5, it says, And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God has been shared abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given who unto us. You see how it says hearts there, right? And what's the first stage or the first step of the description of love or the commandment of love by Jesus? It says you shall love the Lord your God with all what your heart. And if you take both of them side by side, are you juxtapose what both of them are saying? Paul is saying here that our ability or capacity to love God in our hearts comes as a result of the Holy Spirit that has been given to us when we give our lives to Jesus. So if you're a Christian, you now have the love of God shed abroad in your heart by the Spirit of God. It's the Spirit of God that brings that love to you. You don't have the capacity to generate it by yourself. What heart represents here is actually your spirit, the real you. Not the person I'm looking at in front of me, but the God-given spirit. Man is a spirit. He has a soul. He lives in a body. And it is that you that the Holy Spirit does this to. It still has to find expression. And that's why it doesn't stop our hearts. It says you love the love of your soul. You love the love of your mind. You love the love with your strength. 
the remaining three are expressions of that love that have to flow from where? The heart. And it is only the Holy Spirit that can put that inside you. And herein we have the strength and the weaknesses of those who lived before Jesus and those of us that are living now. You see, the children of Israel, the one problem they had was this heart thing. Because they didn't have the Spirit of God inside them. Jesus hadn't come to die. So they could not be Christians. So what happened? They struggled to love God. And some of them did pretty well. Because what some of them did was they were able to love the Lord on these other parts with their souls. And we'll talk about what that means later. And with their strength, some of them did incredible things for what? For God. When we think of people like David, or think of people like Joshua, think of people like Daniel, and we see the incredible stories that we have of the exploits that they did just by trusting God. And God came to meet Gideon and told Gideon that, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon said, the angel, Gideon said, it must not be me you're talking to because I am the smallest in my family. My family is the smallest in the tribe. My tribe is the smallest in Israel. It can't be me. And the angel said, it is what? It is you. You are the one that is going to fight to deliver God's people. And Gideon fought with 300 men and won. It takes a lot of courage to do that. That's loving the Lord with your what? Your strength. But you see, the problem is they had this, they couldn't love God with their hearts. So the same Gideon had a son that he named the son of a king. That's the meaning of his name. And then Gideon could not essentially, there couldn't be succession. Because after Gideon, his son tried to turn Israel to his own country. And his son died. There was rebellion. And Israel fell into crisis again. And what you will come to find is that in the Old Testament, for many of these people, as much as you can find a lot of exploits that they did, David was called a man after God's heart. You will still find weaknesses in their lives that makes me sometimes wonder what kind of man would David have been if David could be born again? If David could give his life to Christ. Because if David could give his life to Christ, I'd like to imagine that as he got on that rooftop that day, the Holy Spirit inside him would tell him, Bros, go inside. <laughs> go where? Go inside. And David would listen. Which is ironic, because you that have that Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is telling you, Bros, go back. You're like, no. I want to see for myself. And sometimes I think about it. I'm like, if David had the Spirit of God, what kind of man would he have been? Because even without God's Spirit, you read about how much this man loved God. He was able to love God with his soul and his strength. But the Holy Spirit could not shed the love of God in his heart. Which is why when you read through the letters of the New Testament, you would see Peter saying in his letter in First Peter that the prophets of old, 
they sought and prophesied about a time such as this. A time when what we are enjoying and experiencing will happen. And God made them to understand that it was not for them. It was for us. These deep things that the angels themselves, it says this, the angels themselves seek to look into. You know, the angels, they feel for us. <laughs> Honestly. And there's enough evidence in scripture. When I say feel for, it's not an emotional thing. But the truth is, we're living in a wicked world. They don't exist on this plane. There's no unrighteousness with them. They see God's face. They leave God's face. They bask in his holiness. And they are sent on errand to us in this corrupt world. They don't live here with us. But they also do not have the Holy Spirit inside them. You do. So, the purpose of today's teaching is how do we benefit from the strengths of those of old now that we already have the love of God shared abroad in our hearts? What does it mean to love God with our souls? Loving God with your soul has to do with the pursuit of your life. You know, every one of us, there's a way we see ourselves. Whether you've done it consciously or unconsciously, there are markers by which we have defined our lives. We define our lives by our ambitions. We define our lives by what we want to achieve. We define our lives by, when we think of ourselves, what we picture ourselves to be. And every human being has that. And that exists in your soul. Because your soul is the seat of perception. So when the Bible says, and we're reading about the story of the rich fool, and the Bible says that the rich fool, it's a parable that Jesus gave, the rich fool sat and he looked at his barn and he said, okay, they should increase his barn because he had so many crops. And he sat and said, okay, my soul, I will be what? I will be merry. Because look at all the things that my hands have put, I've wrought, I've given to myself. And the Bible says that the Lord spoke and said what? You fool. Tonight, your soul will what? Be demanded from you. All those thoughts were going on where? Inside him. Because that was about his perception of himself. How he saw himself. When God was about to deal with Nebuchadnezzar, and if you read through history, you find out that the kings of today are not like the kings of that time. The kings of today, because the world is in such a state that there are many nations that have commensurate power. So even the U.S. cannot form that they are strong. Because one small alliance with another country is over. So what we have, what we live in is a world where there are checks and balances among what we will call the major powers of the world. Babylon was not like that. Nobody could cough. When Nebuchadnezzar says something, if Nebuchadnezzar says nobody is breeding in this kingdom today, nobody is breeding. They were totalitarian kings completely, and they genuinely saw themselves as gods. And God from heaven knew. 
And God went through many steps to humble Nebuchadnezzar to let him know that's what. He is not a God. But in the things that Nebuchadnezzar did and in the ways that God humbled him, what was God dealing with? God wasn't dealing with like his rulership. Right? He wasn't dealing with, oh, whether he was kind to the people or whether he was wicked to the people. That wasn't God's problem. God's problem with him was how he saw himself. And Nebuchadnezzar, after Daniel had warned him and gone to his house, came out one day after he repented. And he came out one day and looked and said, that this wonderful kingdom that my heart, that my hands have built, and that day, he went among the animals and grew feathers and his nails grew long and he lived among them for seven years as the Lord has what has said. And maybe you are not a Nebuchadnezzar. You can be. Because you can look around. Even if you go on Instagram, you know there are 50 billion people richer than you. <laughs> so maybe... You can't carry your shoulder and say, yes, I've arrived. But the pursuit of your life affects what? Affects your soul. To love God with your soul is that every single thing that you want to do is not that you consider God. That is an insult to God. Some people say, for all that we are doing, let's consider what? Let's consider God. No. No is that you let God be the director. Let God be the inspiration for what you choose to want to be. It is not about saying, oh yes, I want to be this. Then I will now pray about it. It's about going and saying, okay God, what do you have for me? What do you, what's your intention for my life? You don't define yourself and go and meet God for approval. Like you just want a signature and say, okay, God, this is what I want. Or this is who I am. Then you go to him and give him the form to sign. That's not loving God with your soul. That's you deceiving yourself. And you see, this is something that we can say that these people, even if they didn't have the Holy Spirit in their hearts, they had. David had it. For every single step, David will first go and ask God, okay, what do you want us to do? Every battle, how do you want us to fight it? Solomon at the beginning of his life had it too. When Solomon sacrificed a thousand um, burnt offerings to God and had that dream, and God came to him and said, ask me for whatever you want. And he said, he asked for wisdom. Do you think he asked for wisdom because he just he wanted to be the wisest person on earth? Solomon did not ask to be the wisest person on earth. Solomon asked and said, give me wisdom so that I may what? Govern this your people, your own people. Because I'm young. I, I cannot do this without you. So give me the wisdom to do it because they are your people. And I'm just standing what? In your place. That was the heart. That was the pursuit of his soul. And that's what made God move him to not just make him the wisest on earth, but to give him riches that he didn't ask for. 
if Solomon wanted wisdom just for the sake of saying what? I am a wise man. He wouldn't have gotten that wisdom. So you can see that these people had it. The pursuit of their very lives was God and what God wanted. And we've lost that. Some of us started this year. If I'm shading you, I'm sorry. It's just an example. Some of us started this year, and I'm not even talking about resolutions. You made plans. And the last plan you wrote down was, okay, so spiritually, what do I want to do this year? You had already planned, okay, I need a new job. By July, I must be earning so-so-and-so amount. By December, I must have worked and done this and done this and arranged this. No matter what happens in Nigeria, I must hustle and hustle and make sure that I'm earning in foreign currency by the end of 2023 as for career, for relationship, if you're in a relationship. Also, we must get married. I must propose as and so month. I must be this, I must be this. If you are single, oh, the Lord must give me that girl that I want <laughs> or that man that I want. And I'm not, this is the truth. And you've written everything down. Then at the end, maybe the paper has now finished. Or oh, the document just down there. Spiritually, yes. I want to try to read five books of the Bible this year. Or oh, I want to try that this year I'll go to church more. Oh, it's not about that, you get. It's not even about whether you wrote that first. It's about that your career. What's God's opinion about it? Do you know? Do you know? That's your relationship or marriage. What's God's opinion about it? Do you know? And if you don't know, have you thought to find out? You know, some of us are so afraid to ask God about his thoughts because there's a part of us that kind of knows that that thing is wrong. And we know that if we ask him, he will tell you to drop it. So you prefer to what? Live in denial. And just, <laughs> just act like what? It doesn't exist. I've done it before. I've done it too many times. Hmm? So I'm not even, I'm shading myself now. If he affects you, it's coincidence. But I've done it before. There was a time I was in a relationship and I knew the relationship was wrong. And I gave God on looking for like one year plus. I know God is very interesting in that. If you pray, we'll still answer you. The one you decide not to talk to him about, he too, he won't bother you about it. Because God is not what? He's not a forceful what? God. Doesn't he fight with us? That thing that is seemingly leading you to some form of crisis. But instead of laying it down at his feet and trusting that he has something better for you in that area or asking him what he wants you to do about that pursuit of your life, about that goal, about that vision, about that dream, about what his thoughts are and how he, he intends you to do some things, you brush it outside and you act like he's not there and he too will be looking at you. But trust me, when you do that, you're not loving God with your soul. 
You know what? You're not loving God with your soul. You're not. And it's not because you can't. Because the truth is, you still come to church and you lift up holy hands. And in that moment, in those moments where the music is playing and everything is well or we're praying and the Spirit of God comes down, because you also have the Spirit of God, in that moment in church, you feel so free and so light. You might even break down in tears. And those things, you're not pretending. But you see, in that moment, because the Holy Spirit manifests his presence and the Spirit of God is inside you, the connection is what? It's pure. It's there. There's nothing in the way of it. But you see, how many hours will you spend in church at most? Let's say three or four. When they say the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you finish, you end that prayer, you come back to normal and you go to your house. It's what happens when you go to your house that manifests in you. That's your soul, your mind, your might. But when you're in the presence of God, some of us, it might even be in our private worship. When we wake up to do morning devotion, you have a, such a wonderful experience. And God speaks to you. And that one that God wants to talk to you about, that you know that you're not ready to hear, you divert it and scam him out of it. And you still enjoy the prayer. Why are we so stubborn? Hmm? Why? I do it too. So I'm not, if it's affecting you, it's coincidence. I do it what? I do it too. It's something that God tried to get my attention on. And I, I ignored him for almost two months. He said it through somebody. Said it to me. Showed me. Because I was not just what? I was not ready. But you have to realize that this is ultimately for your good. And even if it wasn't, love is sacrifice. You see, before you become a believer, I think I've said it, I said it in the Sunday school. Everything that the unbeliever needs to hear is good news. Hmm? What I mean by that is, if you have a friend that doesn't know Jesus, that is fornicating, that is drinking, that is smoking, that is doing whatever you think it is, that has pride in their heart, don't talk to them about it. They don't need to hear it. They need to hear Jesus loves you. No matter what, oh yeah, Jesus loves you. Do you think people that are doing wrong don't know they are doing wrong? They do. Many of them, they don't have the power to stop. So there's no point begrudging them with those things. They just need to hear what? Jesus loves you. The message of sin and sacrifice is for you that is in church, that already knows Jesus. It's not for those that don't know Jesus. You see all these letters that we're reading, where you're saying the works of the flesh, the it's for the church. It's not for the unbeliever. In First Corinthians chapter 5, when in the church, someone was sleeping with his stepmother. And Paul heard of it and he started to talk to them. He got to a point in that conversation when Paul said, you people are focusing on those that are outside. Leave the people that are outside. Like, they are not the problem here. Essentially, those that were not in what? In the church. Say, so you people should focus on yourselves. Because you don't expect anything different from them. They don't have Jesus. No matter how much they might want to change, we don't have the power to become righteous. It's God that makes us righteous. So until they encounter that Jesus, nothing is going to happen. So keep putting Jesus in their face and telling them about the love of Christ. Don't tell them about their sin or their mistakes. They don't need it. 
but that's the good news. But when you come to Jesus and you enter the hair, unfortunately, we have another good news that might not be so good for what? For you. And that good news is this. The same way Jesus died for you, you are also going to have to die for him. And it won't be a physical death a lot of times. For some people, it's what? It's physical. But aspects of you will die for him. Your ambition can die for him. Your relationship can die for him. Some friendships can die for him. And it doesn't matter. Because that's what it means to love him with what? Our soul. That the pursuit of your life has been laid on the altar. And you're not carrying this back. What does it mean to love the Lord with our mind? This is the one thing that was present in, in the book of Mark that was not present in the book of Deuteronomy, right? Deuteronomy just says, heart, soul, and what? And might. Some versions will tell you strength. But what does it mean to love the Lord with our minds? Loving the Lord with our minds has to do with our thought life. And you see, I've been asking myself, why did Jesus, for lack of a better word, remix this scripture? Because he added his own. He added one word. Because that's not what was in the original text. And it's quite simple. The time that the children of Israel lived in in Deuteronomy is very different from the time that Jesus was with them in, in Matthew. Because the world had changed. In Deuteronomy, all the children of Israel knew was themselves. And the entire nation of Israel was a theocratic nation. Theocracy is the government of what? Of God. All they knew was God. They didn't have, new, they didn't have distractions. The only sins they had were the sins they invented by themselves. And the ones they now started to adopt from relating with what? With foreigners and the idols that they worshipped. But that was easily solvable. <clears throat> the point that I'm making is that this was not an intellectual what? Nation. Initially. They were not focused on the wisdom of this world. Their government was surrounded by what? What the Lord wants. But you see, the Jews in Matthew were not the same Jews anymore. They were now under Roman rule. They now had what? The Greeks. They had education. They had what? Exposure. They had intellectual reasoning. They had people that had the capacity to say this thing. We are proving it. Proving it. Now they had lawyers. Now they had scribes. You see, knowledge is a good thing. But knowledge that is not founded on scripture and the belief of God would always lead you away from him. So we must love God with what? With our minds. Loving God with our minds has to do with what we give ourselves to. What we give our thoughts to. What, what information we expose ourselves to. I've said something here before, and I, I'm just moved to say it again. There is no field of study in this world. When you go deep enough into it, there would always be a way to fight God in it. Every single field of study. 
interestingly including theology. Maybe theology is even the most, because you're even dealing with the God directly. There is no field of study. I don't have a problem with science. I have a problem with scientists. Because when you go deep enough into science, people try to question the existence of what? Of God. Same with technology. Same with art. Because the depth of art, where you're going to end up is what we call self-expression. So the depth of art, whether it's music or visual arts, the deeper you go into its study, you start to dig into, in quotes, what man's true creative what capacity is. By the time you dig and dig and deep into man's true creative capacity, you are going to end up in some form of agnosticism or some form of atheism, where you believe that man was, or some of, some form of new age teaching, where you believe that man is what man is all encompassing. A man just needs to believe in himself and his ability to what. To create. You hear some artists who were Christian and are not Christian anymore. They will tell you they still believe in God, but they, they believe that God gave us the ability to what? To create. And we must explore that creative ability to what? To the fullest. Some of them are musicians. Some of them are they paint, they draw, they act, whatever. That God is the ultimate creator. And we are made in his image. Are they lying? No. But they are just interpreting his words. Out of context. They've left him. There is no field of study. Name it. Where there isn't a depth that you get to. Or some corners that you get to. That are anti-God. Because that's what you call the knowledge of this world. So we have to serve God with our minds. I had a friend once, and at the point she was dealing with faith or issues of faith. And she started watching some interesting videos about the existence of God and all that. And she called me and told me she was watching those videos. I told her, stop watching those videos. And she said, why? I said, I can watch those videos, but you can't watch them. And she said, why? She said, because I already believe. Nothing is going to shake my faith at this point that I am. Of which I'm sure that there are things out there that I myself cannot watch. But at least for the thing that she was watching. Every point that was being made, I was just remembering what? Scriptures that can negate those points. But that's because I've taken what? I've taken this inside me. I have a level of the word built up inside me that can fight the arrows of doubt. She wasn't there yet, and I had to tell her, what you need the most right now is your Bible. You don't need Christian um, defense, analysis. You don't need the archaeological proofs that Jesus really died. Those, they are not bad information, no. but they are not Bible. They don't give you faith. The Bible says faith comes by what? Hearing and hearing the word of God. The word of God in its unadulterated form. And we have to be careful the amount of time that we spend even taking in seemingly good things at the expense of taking in the word of God. Because we have to love the Lord with our minds. 
oh i love christian content and i don't even want to get into arts because one of my passions in life is to christians are able to listen to music that is not cursing god and it's not singing about women and drugs and whatever but to say that i'm now replacing christian music with my bible is wrong Oh, I love Christian books. I love Christian literature. I hate the fact that it's very difficult for me to find Christian literature in the genre that I like. I hate the fact that when I turn on my TV, or I open Netflix, or even when I watch anime, and I start to realize a trend, like, why are they all fighting demons in anime lately? Small thing, everybody's fighting demons. Sorry if you don't watch anime, but it's a thing. Why are there so many witches in like media? They are now good witches. They are now the bad witches. And they don't fight those demons, by the way, with good power. No, they fight the demons with demonic power that they've just learned to control somehow. I'm like, what's all this nonsense? Like, this is very subliminal messaging. And I've been thinking about it. But what do I expect? It's the world. The world will always world. Like, I don't expect the world to be any different from the world. But do you know that there are people that their entire personality, their entire stream of thought, the entire way they perceive themselves has been driven and controlled by media first. Because they watch a certain thing, listen to a certain music, they start to adopt or want to be a certain way, live a certain lifestyle. And they have, it starts from the mind. And when it starts from the mind, it permeates further everywhere. That happened to me before. In this Lagos, it's the Lord Jesus that stopped me from buying crystals to be meditating. It's God. Because at a point in my life, a couple of years ago, I was so enamored by hippie culture. I wanted to be a hippie. I had more hair products than my sister. Because I wanted to grow my hair. I wanted it to be long. And still, still tomorrow, I still know about hair than my wife. Because <laughs> I did so much research back then and the knowledge is still, I've not been able to push it away. <laughs> still somewhere there. And I was so enamored by dressing almost naked. So the shirt, if it doesn't have hole, yeah, I'm not wearing it. They know people here now. It's almost like the Altair children that dye in their hair different colors today in the world. Because that's how I defined my words, myself. That's what I wanted to be. How did it come? From music. And some movies where I like some characters. So this guy is so chill, he's so cool. That's, that's me. This is how I want to be. I bought yoga mats. I attempted learning yoga. It was too stressful for me, so I gave the mat away. <laughs> so what else can I do to just enter this culture properly? And they used to meditate, and they used to... And I started to cross my legs when I'm sitting down. And some other interesting, interesting things. That's what I wanted to be. I had friends who were on the other side of that scale who they wanted to be gothic so they didn't wear anything that wasn't black 
they had black eyeliner, black black rings. Oh, let me even get into rings. Everything black. It has to be spiked. If not, they are not. You'd be surprised what we define ourselves what by. Where did they get it from? Music. Slash some movies. And maybe these are extreme examples. But the truth is that your mind, mm, the Bible says that you should guard your heart with all diligence. And the main, the interpretation of that really is mind. It says out of it flows the issues of life. Because you see, your soul and your mind are connected. The way you perceive yourself, first start from how you reason. And what you are thinking about. I got into astrology. I knew my sign. I knew what my sign, people, how they were. And when I saw things in my life that were not really like my sign, I tried to <laughs> have to work on it so that I can proudly say what my sign was. I started studying the sun rising, the moon rising. The you should thank God for my life. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you might not have gone that far but it's still there it's still in the subtle things what do you define yourself by in your mind how much time do you spend on thinking about God have you ever thought about heaven before I was having a conversation with someone and we're talking about how the teacher hell and how, how they reduced and I said yeah it's fine that's my own problem is not that teachings about hell has reduced I don't mind my own problem is that we don't talk about heaven enough because you see I have no intention of going to hell so I rather not talk about it but I'm going to heaven I want to see Jesus and it just feels like we don't think about life after this life enough it's hard, I know. Buari is not giving you Naira. So, <laughs> I know. It's difficult to think beyond your immediate what, situation. But, these are our minds. Your boss does not own you. If you leave that company today, God forbid if you die. The ones that come to your funeral, you don't even know. And the next week, there's an interim person to replace you. While they are looking for who will finally what? Take your place. We don't have that with God, though. We have just this one life that he gave us to live. So what are we doing? We have to love the Lord with what? Our minds. And the final thing is loving the Lord with our might. Our might has to do with our strength, right? What does strength actually mean? Strength is in the doing. And if you follow the progression, you will find out that everything cannot do without the other. What will make you do something for God will mean that the love of God is already in what? In your soul. And already in your what? In your mind. What will lead you to a point where you are saying that I want to serve God. I want to dwell in his house. I want to cater to the things that matter to God. Is that the love of God is already there. 
And the truth is, if you if you're not serving God with your strength, you'll be serving yourself with your strength. And by serving yourself, you'll be serving the devil. Because man is a serving being. Because to love the Lord with your might is to serve him. And to serve him, the Old Testament picture is still the New Testament picture. It's not doing what you want or not doing what you think that God likes. No. It's doing what God sends you to what? To do. It's beyond just being a worker in church. Although being a worker in church is great. But it's beyond that. It's about the fact that Jesus left us on this earth. And when he died and went, he gave us just one instruction. He said what? Go and what? Go into the world and what? Preach and teach the gospel. Bring people unto me. This thing that you've received, let them what? Have it too. That's what it means to serve the Lord with your strength. Every other thing that comes under that, whether it's pastor, teacher, whatever, whether it's evangelist, whether it's intercession, giving, being a worker, whatever it is, falls under that. Because the entire purpose of the church is to bring people unto God and to teach them and groom them so those people can also go out and bring others unto God and to commit themselves to the service of God, not just because we feel like singing and wasting our time on Sunday, no. So that we can receive strength today for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. To do what's there, not to make money, not for your salary, it's for the kingdom of God. That's the point. And you can serve yourself even in God's house. I have also done it. And the thing is, at some point, your strength will expire. And you walk your way. You know why many of us walk away from church? If you've walked away before, I've walked away before. And you start saying things like, it just it stopped making sense, I didn't get it. It's because you weren't serving God. You might have been serving yourself. A couple of days ago, I spent some time speaking to a friend of mine in uni. We're very close. He's a good, he's a, his name is Deji. So when we were in uni, he was a drummer in the choir. And I was the head of choir. And I used to play keyboard. So we're friends. We're very, very good friends. And we're still friends today. And he's in Abuja. And basically, let's just say, out of all of us that were in fellowship, two of us are some of the few that are still Christian, in a sense. Many people have... You know, they've done other things. And we're just discussing stuff. And he he on the he remembers uni a lot more fondly than I do. Like when he talks about the past, he's very, very nostalgic. Me, I'm very, very say I beg it has passed. Let's move forward. <laughs> and we're talking. And I was like, Do you know why I sound like that? And I told him the reason I sound like that is because I, I think back to some of the things that we did then in the name of serving God. And I cannot help but realize that those were the things that sort of expired that made me or left me feeling so empty when I left school and caused me to sort of walk away because I was serving myself for about three to four years. Let's say three and a half years, I was serving myself when I didn't know. Because I was the most popular person in church in school. Because I was head of school choir. And it was fun. And I was telling him how before I became even head, we already started spiraling. Because we entered the same year. And I told him, we sang We Are The World in church. 
we are the world, we are the children. We sang it in church as choir ministration in my 200 level. And I was reminding him because I wasn't the head of choir then, but we had the head of choir who I call a 419 now because he's not a Christian, but he was the head of choir. And we're discussing how, and you know, when I told him we sang, the, he said, Billy, two days ago I, I heard that song and I, I was even telling my sister, this is Billy's part here. <laughs> this is the part that Billy's like, and we're just laughing about it and everything. I'm like, I can't forget, but when I think about it today, I just cover my eyes in shame. Like, we're not the world. What were we singing? And we had, I had so many of these experiences where it is quite possible for you to be serving yourself and you are in the house of what? Of God. That is when you are not giving your strength to those things that would ensure that what the gospel reaches people. I think one of the things that I've said here, even as when we talk about being a worker, that if tomorrow I just come up with one program that you don't understand, ask me. Like you're free to challenge me and say, okay, so pastor, what's the point? Why are we doing this one? And if I cannot give you an answer that tells you that the reason why we are doing that program or that activity is to bring people to what? To God. Then I failed. And what that means is that I'm using you to just waste your time. Because if God is not in it, you are serving in what? In vain. And we need to learn to commit our strength to God. And our strength is everything that we have physically. Both our physical strength and our material strength. I think I cracked a joke here and I said, if people say, oh, churches are collecting money, pastors are scammed, I agree, many of them are. True. But it doesn't negate the fact that you need to pour your resources into God's house. If you don't spend your resources in church, who are you going to spend it? I go to home affairs, I go to the, the, the supermarket, and sometimes I'm walking around and I get to the wine section and I see like some bottles of wine that are like 40, 50, 60. And I'm like, somebody's going to come and buy this thing between this week and next week. And I'm like, ah, that's 60K. What will he do in church? <laughs> I, I just think about it. You get, not because of it. I just think about it. I'm like, that's 60K. So I bought us this, I bought us that. A lot of times, people that point accusatory fingers at the house of God, it's because they don't want to serve God with their resources. That's the truth. Because if you do not give your resources to God's house, you give it to, somehow, you give it to the devil. He will find a way to take it from you. So it's a non-issue. It's not even something that I like talking about because it's pointless. It's pointless. I have a friend who was planning to travel and in one day, he had an accident, and he had spent over millions. You know him. He gathered money, preparing to leave this country. One accident, oh, he lost most of his teeth. He had to replace the teeth, do that, do that, do that. And he was sitting down with me and telling me he had spent almost two million at that point in time. And he's still going to spend another the next week. Money that he gathered to what? To use to leave this country. So what is it? 
I'll be friend too. He bought Jen this week. They stole the same Jen from him next week. These things are not, they are non-issues. David wanted to build a temple for God. God said, you can't build this because there's too much blood on your hands. David said, okay, even if I can't build it. Did he just say, if I can't build it, I can't build it. Well, that's the next king's problem. The Bible says that he gathered what? Materials. That's someone that is willing to do, like, even what I can't do. Let me do what's my best. So they had it. They just didn't have this heart thing. But you do. In conclusion, I want to talk to you very briefly about what it means to love people. And I'll say that in two to three minutes. So we've dealt with the first commandment, which has to do with loving God, right? I want to tell you that the only people that can truly love people are Christians. Feel free to quote me. I said it. I'll tell you why. Because the entirety of a human being is spirit, soul, and body. Your spirit is what connects you directly with God. Right? Your soul has to do with your mind, your emotions, your thinking faculty, your will, your personality. And your body is this thing that I'm looking at. True or false? An unbeliever is aware of the soul. We're obsessed with our souls as people. The entire field of psychology and psychiatry has to do with the soul. Because it's what? Psyche. Psyche means soul in Greek. We're obsessed with our souls. We know nothing about our spirits as human beings. Because only the Lord can give us that revelation. Obsessed with our souls. Obsessed with what my personality type is. Obsessed with what so many tests of people try to discover who what, who they are. That's in the soul. That's not in the spirit. And your body is this thing I'm looking at. And we're also obsessed with our bodies. Why am I saying this to you? Because you see, someone who is not Christian only has the capacity to care even with the best of their intentions for your soul and your body. Because they don't know your spirit. What does this mean? If you have a friend who is not a Christian, and that friend has a problem and you as a christian are there and there's another person that is not a christian there and two of you want to approach that problem you as a believer most likely and should be thinking about the thing more holistically so if someone comes to meet me with an issue the first thing i'm thinking about is okay spiritually lord what does this mean it's not a superstitious thing some people say oh you're not being realistic they're liars the spirit is more real than the physical. So I don't know what I'm saying. God is what? Spirit. Man is spirit first. The devil is what? Spirit. Angels are what? Spirit. So I don't know why we say we're not being realistic. Spirit is the most real thing. Because before something happens, that's already what is going to cause that thing to happen in the natural to any human being has taken place in the spiritual already. And as a Christian, you have awareness of that. You might not have so much depth, but you can pray. And prayer connects you with what? With the Spirit. So the chances that 
someone will meet me with a problem. And the first thing I'll think about is to go and pray about it or to say something that affects the person's spirit. It's very high because I'm a what? Christian. That is how I will first express my what? My love. I don't believe I'll say let's brainstorm. I don't believe I'll probably organize an intervention. And I used to do these things before. I've had periods in my friends' lives where we, they were going through tough times. And the solution we had is what? Hang out. Let's hang out so we can get our minds what? Off it. Not to solve the problem, but to get our minds what? Off it. So we organize the hangout, we get in the house, we buy food, we play games, we have a good night. The next day, the problem is still what? Still there. But we do it out of what? A form of what? Love and care. Because that's all the power that we have. But as a believer, you have more. So what it means to love your neighbor as yourself means that with the same vigor with which you consider yourself, both spirit, soul, and body, you should do the same for your neighbor. And that's the reason why it's only a believer that can love holistically. Which is why what angers me the most is Christians that are still living and loving like they don't know Jesus. Christians that when someone in the office like Daddy was saying yesterday, saying, oh, I have a headache, I have a stomachache. The first thing that you think about is, oh, have you gone to the hospital? Have you done this? Have you done this? Have you done that? First thing you should think about is, okay, hold the person's hand and say, are you comfortable with me praying for you? This thing will go. The person says, I'm comfortable. Hold the person's hands and pray. And you see if God will not do it. Because it's not because of God will do it for himself. Not for you. Because if that headache doesn't go, the person would say in the person's mind, that's how these Christians are. They'll just be doing, they'll be deceiving themselves up and down. And Jesus will not allow his name to be dragged in the mud. So Jesus would take that headache away. Even if he's let the greatest demon put it there, he'll take that headache away because you've put him on the line. For what? For love. And I'm not saying that you should not use your brain or use your sense. But we've talked about loving God with our minds. Christian logic exists, but it spawns out of a spirit that is what? Renewed. I'm not saying that Christians don't think. Oh, we think. But we don't think like the world. Amen. Let's rise up. I want you to say a prayer to God and say, Lord, help me to love you. Help me to love you. Just if, Even if that's all you can say on repeat. Help me to love you with the entirety of my being. With everything that is within me, I want to love you, Lord. I want to love you. Help me to love you. Help me to love you, Jesus. Help me to love you.
Nevrundo fusco rubanda barabashi briskere riskete. Nevrufusco rubanda barabada garadiskete jen griskedesha. For it's in Jesus' name we have prayed. Father, we give you praise for today. We thank you. We magnify thee. Thank you because you are God. But as we continue into this service, pray that your presence and your power be with us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.